This is CT Startup, your source for information on entrepreneurs, investors, and resources in the Connecticut startup ecosystem. From university campuses to industrial labs, from Stanford to Hartford, and from Danbury to Norwich, if it's happening out there in Connecticut, you'll find it in here. Now it's time to enter into a world of innovation, a world of human struggles, heartbreak, and achievement. And most of all, a world of wonder. Welcome to CT Startup. Welcome to CT Startup. This is Dave Menard from Martha Kalina. With me today is... Eric Francis from Trifecta Ecosystems. And Andrea Stahl. And we have a flashback, a moldy oldie. We have James McLaughlin, one of the very original, uh, one of the very original hosts of the podcast with us. Uh, he took off and he came back. Yeah, we're right. so good. We That's so right. Good Glad to be coming. back. Thanks for, uh, thanks for inviting me back. <laughs> James, we missed you. We forgot your name, but we missed you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And, uh, and it's particularly great today because our guest, um, uh, the guest company that we have, Raise Green, uh, works with James and, and myself. And, uh, and so I thought having James back on would be just uh, an amazing thing. So yeah, so you want to introduce our guest, Dave? Well, I wanted to introduce James. I wanted to give him his due. <laughs> Much appreciated. That's, uh, that's about all the due I deserve, so. Okay, good. Well, we'll put James on the spot later to get that Kennedy impression. Um, okay, raise screen. We have Franz and Matt, guys. Yeah, well, um, so my name is Franz Hochstrasser, and uh, Matt and I, uh, Matt Maroney here, and I uh, co-founded the company Raise Green, uh, which is a clean fintech company uh, that works to essentially crowdfund a healthy, just, and sustainable future. And and what that means in in real terms is that we are applying to become a registered crowdfunded intermediary portal um, so that we can create a two-sided marketplace between uh, people who had have an interest in developing some sort of climate solution project, whether that be community solar or an electric vehicle charging station um, or some other type of, uh, of climate solution, um, and, and then pair them with interested, non-accredited investors, people making less than $200,000 a year um, that may want to put their money to work in their community to make the world a better place, um, or just may simply uh, want to di diversify their investment portfolios and uh, find other options for uh, places to, to put their money um, that are more local and more actionable and more asset-backed than uh, traditional uh, stocks and public equities. Great. And now, when I first met you guys, it was through CBay, right? And CBay is the uh, School for Business and the Environment at Yale? Uh, the, yeah, the Center for Business and Environment at Yale. Yeah, it's a, um, one of the many centers on campus. Um, and at, yeah, actually at that point, um, we had just won an Entrepreneurial Solutions to Climate Change Seed Award, um, which gave us a little bit of uh, cash to start uh, working out of business. Um, and, and yeah, you're bringing me back because um, <laughs> at that point we were working on building a a network of mobile air quality sensors, um, and that that um, it, I'll get to the pivot here in a second. But um, all of this, you know, for Matt and I, I think comes from this motivation of uh, this daunting challenge of climate change being very impersonal for for many people and very inaccessible and, and hard to wrap their heads around. Um, but uh, our our efforts are geared towards giving people some agency and some self-efficacy in the face of that, and an opportunity to, uh, to 
directly get involved in uh, the solution set um, there and being part of this being part of the solution instead of perpetuating um, the problem and how did uh, well let, let's take a step back because I'd like to hear not only where you guys met and how you got into this area but then you know how you started moving from your original idea which was called Errorware um, into Reese Green sure yeah I'll, I'll take this I so we have originally thought, okay, um, climate change is very impersonal, no one can see it. Um, so at the same time, we realized that air pollution and climate change are highly correlated. Um, and a lot of the same sources of local air pollution, like particulate matter and SO2 that causes smog and asthma, things like that are, are really acutely felt by people. Um, so we thought if you, know, you can increase the awareness of the air pollution that people are breathing through things like uh, like a wrist sensor or a sensor you can put on your bicycle or on clip on your kid's backpack and, and read that out, then, then that awareness of the air pollution would actually kind of lead to more climate action and more reduced local air pollution, which has a massive health impact. Um, and so we were basically buying off the shelf sensors um, and kind of soldering them in with Arduinos. And we had actually kind of a live pilot uh, project where we put this sensor on the back of my bike and we were biking around and you know it was tweeting out the air quality which is pretty cool um, and so we were sitting in the um, the CID the Center for Engineering and Innovation Design at Yale which is where all the 3d printers and, and things like that are and there were all these boxes of all these electrical components um, <laughs> and we were looking at each other like do we really want to deploy these millions of sensors and, and gather all this data? Um, is this really what we want to create is purchasing all these kind of cheap electronics from China? And um, there is a point for gathering data. You know, I built kind of my ethos on availability of open data. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time, we kind of had this, this meeting um, with the CEO of Acclima, um, which is a, a really uh, powerful and, and impressive startup in, in San Francisco. Um, we, met that, we met her in Germany, and she basically, for one, was five years ahead. She had gotten a check from Larry Page at a cocktail party, which kicked off uh, her business. But she also had you know 100 Python programmers working full time. So we basically said, we can't compete against this, this, this kind of amazing person and startup. And, we were talking to her. She said, look, we have all this data. We just don't know what to do with it. We can identify hotspots of pollution. We put our sensors on cars and drive them around Oakland, but we don't know what to do with the data. And so that's when we, we were reviewing the, the paper they published in environmental uh, science and technology. And <clears throat> basically, we saw these hotspots on the map, and we said, look, this is where projects should be, community-based projects that address these sources of air pollution. And then the question is, how do these small-scale community projects actually get financed? Because these are typically low- to middle-income groups that you know, are often can be people of color communities, which have less political power and representation, um, less access to finance. And you know, at the same time, you had some real big regulatory shifts that were happening. Um, regulation crowdfunding amended the Securities Act as a result of President Obama. And this basically changed the way securities were offered, um, could be offered. They could actually be offered privately to everyday people. And so this idea of kind of a crowdsource community solutions, kind of self-determination on the community level and self-efficacy on the individual level is kind of uh, why we, we pivoted uh, with this. We, 
we don't forget our roots and we don't forget kind of this data-driven aspect. We anticipate you know, the deployment of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of sensors of all types. And the question is, how can we integrate these data streams, identify pollution hotspots, and kind of help create uh, an ecosystem of projects that address those pollution hotspots um, as that information becomes available? And that, that's kind of how Raise Green was born. Now, and you're, you're starting, uh, in addition to the portal, you are working on your first community project. Indeed, yeah, um, right here in New Haven, actually. Um, and it's called New Haven Community Solar. Um, it currently is a live offering on startengine.com. Um, you can go look it up. I can't get into the terms on, on this, but um, it's a really inspiring story, actually. Um, so the, the School of Architecture at Yale uh, takes the first year cohorts every year, and they, uh, they design and build a home and then donate it to a local nonprofit. And uh, for, the next, for last year and the next four years, it will be uh, donated to a group called the Columbus House, mm -hmm. uh, which provides uh, homelessness uh, services to uh, the New Haven community and was actually founded by a Yale, Div Yale Divinity School grad, uh, Allison Cunningham, um, about 30 years ago when she came out of, uh, out of, out of Yale with an interest in giving back to, to the community. Um, and, and so this year's building project, it's called the Jim Block Building Project, um, will have a, um, a crowdfunded uh, solar array built on the top of that. And so we're coming in as the financing partners. Um, we, you know, as I mentioned, the, the raise is currently live and uh, that, that array will provide uh, aff affordable rates of power for the low-income residents that will move into the home uh, under the auspices of uh, the, the Columbus House ownership. Yeah, and it's really cool, right? If, if you reduce the operating costs of nonprofits <coughs> like Columbus House, then they can build more homes and make more services. And a lot of these nonprofits, they kind of couldn't do solar. They, they have very razor-thin margins. So, you know, kind of crowdfunding in this capacity can actually serve to kind of create a lot of network effects and enha help enhance the mission of, of groups doing wonderful work like Columbus House. Um, I think it's... Oh yeah, and, and also, you know, Connecticut has the, the highest uh, energy rates in the continental yeah. U.S. They're unbelievable. <laughs> so up, upwards of like 17 cents a kilowatt hour. Uh, I say um, upwards of like 25 cents a kilowatt hour, I'll just say that. But, cause, well, I, and, I, and I speak from experience because that's my uh, electricity rate for my indoor farm in Meriden. Um, and, on, and, and the reason why is through a CPACE project, they got solar panels on the top and to finance it, you had to lock in a rate. Right. And then by locking in the rate, they pass it down to the, you know, so... That's another issue with some of these is that um, you're the, I mean, it's literally for my business, tens of thousands of dollars a year, you know, so it's, it's crazy in Connecticut. Actually, I want to, um, before we, we open general questions, I want to talk a little bit about this crowdfunding thing. Um, first of all, yeah, I mean, Raise Green is about creating a crowdfunding platform, uh, which as you mentioned is a result of the changes, uh, you know, promulgated by the Jobs Act back in 2011, and we finally got regulations back in 2016, but Interesting enough, ec like pu public equity crowdfunding hasn't taken off, at least not to the extent that I thought it would. Um, I was a big predictor that this is going to be a sea change in the way things are getting financed. It's going to really open up whole new waves of capital to companies. Um, and, I, and I think one of the big reasons for that um, was um, electronic uh, currency. I mean, Bitcoin and other things. Well, the thing ever since about the same time, 
people started launching, uh, you know, uh, coin offerings, ICOs, um, and they were raising tons of money on nothing, right? They, they were raising, they were raising literally billions of dollars off of no promise for value, whatever, and they were able to do it because at the time nothing was regulated. And even now, it's still the regulation is still for debate. But at least in the U.S., the SEC is cracking down, and the EU is looking stronger at uh, coin offerings. But um, you know, people were creating all sorts of electric, electronic currency. They were even creating currencies that mocked the fact that they were creating currency. Oh, right. was that uh, Dogecoin? Dogecoin. Yeah, and uh, the SEC actually created its own ICO. I don't know if you you saw really? that Howie Coin. Yeah, it was kind of. Oh, they were like, yes, they're like, we want some that. of this money. We want some. <laughs> well, of this. it was actually to alert prospective investors <laughs> yes. to the, the prospect of losing all of their money <laughs> on some sort of offering. Like that. So it, it became so much easier than doing crowdfunding and people. And so I, I felt like that put a delay in the crowdfunding. It didn't ruin the idea of equity crowdfunding, but. And now that we're starting to see more regulation, equity crowdfunding is again becoming a more viable option, and you're starting to see the numbers in the U.S. go up year over year. Um, so, anyways, uh, background on uh, on equity crowdfunding, but it's it's really fascinating area because it really is the cutting edge for financing, and and you're trying to access local, you, know, you can really access local parties um, if you want to target that way. So, as as Raise Green is using another crowdfunding platform for their first offering. How are you finding that process as being the company seeking funding? Um, great question. <laughs> um, it, it has it has been a bit rocky, um, and I think I think that's the case for for a couple reasons. But uh, one of which um, is that you know what we're trying to do in this proof of concept uh, offering um, is is marry um, regulation crowdfunding with project finance, and this is where I think what we're doing is is Quite different from what has been tried before, um, because typically, you know, uh, equity crowdfunding is used for uh, ventures, and you know, buying a sort of lottery ticket stake in a in a venture company that you hope will, you know, grow 20x. Um, whereas what we're doing is is approaching it uh, from the standpoint of um, basically buying a stake in um, what amounts to a, a series of collapsed cash flows. Um, so it's it's more akin to a, a fixed income instrument than a you know a venture style bet that you're placing, um, and so you know the the portal that we are working with has found it difficult to wrap their head around why <laughs> why we would be doing it this way, um, and so we've had to explain numerous times you know that this is um, this is a model that we're trying to prove out, um, and um, at the same time you know remain somewhat. Uh, somewhat coy about uh, what we're ultimately trying to build, which is our own our own crowdfunding portal to do this um, many times over. So are you, are you, are you um, like the fixed income and, and not, you know, it's not a venture deal. You're not going to, you know, the lottery ticket, you're going to get a bunch of money from. Is it because the projects that you're, you're working with or want to fund, like aren't going to shed off that, that kind of capital, that kind of money? Like, like again, a solar project, right? There's just a, a, a certain um, return that that's going to have. Yeah, well, let me just say now, looking over here at my lawyer, that um, all projects have risks, and there's a, lot <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a probability. I've, I've never seen James go so red, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a probability that each one of these projects could fail for any number of reasons. Yep. Yeah, for and sure. that's part of the communication challenge to non-accredited investors, which 
in my opinion, is a little demeaning to everyday people. You, they're called non, non-accredited, unsophisticated investors, which is kind of like saying, okay, go to the kids' table. We'll get you when, when dinner's ready. Um, that, that's exactly how they mean it, too, yeah. frankly. Sometimes and, that, that table's funner, right? <laughs> <laughs> table seven, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, ultimately... Um, <clears throat> What, what we're trying to prove out, you know, project finance is nothing new, right? Mm-hmm. The original voyages by the Greeks across the Mediterranean were project finance. Yep. The Panama Canal was project finance. Um, you know, Kickstarter is a household name that everyone knows. You know, where we're different than Kickstarter is Kickstarter has no recourse. So if I put money in for some cool new backpack that I see on Instagram. <laughs> you may or may not get it. You may or may not get <laughs> it. And you have no, no recourse. Whereas with equity crowdfunding, it's part of the you know, Securities Act, and the inve- the investors have actual rights uh, to basically reclaim those assets and money from the companies. Well, uh, in, in some well, way. Yeah, in, uh, just, to, just to be clear oh, enough. Another place, lawyer's place, take place, on it. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll say in theory. In theory, yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It may be cost prohibitive for whatever reason. Yeah, or or the assets may not be there, and the company goes into bankruptcy, and so on. I, I mean, there's no there's no guarantee they're going to be able to get the money back. But yes, they have they have a lot more rights than Kickstarter, which is basically a donation. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's something we often have to explain. But anyway, to, uh, to to get back to your original question, like you know, the whole point is if we can basically sign contracts that guarantee purchase of of the the product. Um, for the projects, so whether it's solar, whether it's EV, whether it's kind of um, utilities of other type or, or even uh, things like ecosystem services, if we can basically have the project company sign long-term purchases for those, then, then those uh, revenues would then be distributed to the people who invested in the projects. So, so that's how we're kind of combining pro- project finance with crowdfunding. Um, it's quite a challenge, especially for small projects. Most of these project finance things are utility scale solar, um, 20 megawatts, 50 megawatts, people like Walmart putting in $50 million. So to do it for you know a $30,000 project, everyone looks at us like we're crazy. And actually one of our mentors told us, well, you know, you, crazy, th- you know, real change only happens by people that kind of are stupid enough not to know how hard it is. Well, <laughs> and it's the naivete, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and frankly, there's there's a sense of urgency right now. Climate change, air pollution, social injustice, all these things. There's a massive intersectionality. There's a massive finance gap for community-scale projects. These projects get forgotten about. Banks don't invest in them. VCs don't touch them. And yet, you know, almost half a dozen states have policy mandates for community shared clean energy facilities. And there's no real financing mechanism that exists, which... You know, it's probably a good thing because the government has learned its lessons from mandating specific types of technologies or services. But at the same time, there's also kind of this push to innovate in that sector. That's what we're trying to do. I, d- I just want to point out from the day I met you guys, I thought their ignorance is going to save the world. <laughs> <laughs> that was ouch. <laughs> what? That's a semi compliment. I'll take it. <laughs> well, well, see, it, it helps you get through the hurdles, right? Like it's a, like there's the ups and downs, and you're just like, oh, we can we can still climb this this mountain. You know, we're I, not dead on arrival. I think it's important to note that the, the world's going to be fine. It's whether we can save humans or not. And I think that's a kind of a crucial distinction in the conversations. You know, like uh, older people, like, like my grandma, bless her heart, um, you know, she, she says, oh, Matt's going to save, save the world. And I say, for one thing, like, you know, you need to help too because you're <laughs> still here and people, you know, older and other generations have more capital and influence. Yep. Um, but ultimately, you know, 
plants are going to survive, bugs are going to survive, animals are going to survive. It's whether our social and political systems and economic systems can survive. And, and by creating alternative marketplaces, diversifying investments into community resilience, into renewable energy, um, into other types of projects that we're hoping to build out, like community centers and things like this, like um, that's how we increase resiliency and hopefully avert kind of the probability of disaster that the IPCC just put out last week saying we have five years to change our society around. Just to not to get too maudlin here, but uh, as, as, as a person coming from a profession that relies on sarcasm and apathy as a, as a general tool <laughs> of dealing with life, um, you know, you guys actually give me hope that maybe we deserve to be saved. <laughs> so I, I, I really do appreciate what, uh, you know, what you're bringing to the table and what you're trying to put out into the world. So are you guys looking for more, I, I guess, what's the biggest hurdle? Uh, finding projects to fund or, again, finding the people that will put the money in? Well, our, you know, our immediate focus, um, as I mentioned, is this, this first offering mm -hmm. because this, uh, this is our opportunity to, to show that there is interest on the investor side mm -hmm. um, in this sort of product. And, uh, you know, it, that, that's going to be uh, hugely determinant of, of whether we can scale this model um, and, and, you know, take the learnings from this um, as, you know, research and development or what have you um, and, and tra transform them into uh, what amounts to a scalable business. Um, so that's that's really our, our chief focus at the moment. But, um, you know, the... And, and so every aspect of that, you know, turning this, turning this uh, project into a living laboratory of sorts, uh, working with the Yale, uh, the, uh, many, the many resources that, that Yale has to offer, um, and, and getting them out into the New Haven community, um, and, and showing how um, this sort of asset can be uh, not just valuable for the people um, who are willing to, to put their money into it, but also, um, you know, for the community uh, organization that's going to benefit from it, and from the residents um, who are who are likewise going to benefit. So um, that that's our goal at the moment. And um, as you know, as we work through the process with with James on um, our application to the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, um, and and get through that, um, then it, I think you know we'll turn to a necessity of activating more what we call originators. So um, Organizations like churches, schools, community centers, nonprofits across the country to step up and say, yeah, yeah, you know, we, we like this as an alternative to to pace or to, you know, trying to get a bank loan uh, from some, uh, you know, from some lender at, at users' rates potentially. Um, you know, this isn't this is another option, and we're going to try it, and so uh, that that will be our next turtle. Yeah, there's a lot of barriers for community groups, especially since, you know, we're focusing on low to middle income groups and, and, and nonprofits. You know, there's a lot of trauma in these communities when they see legal documents and when they think about signing 20 to 30 year obligations. I, ha I have trauma from legal documents, I, all right? So. I do not know what any of you are talking about. Back me up here, James. I mean, yeah, I've never heard of that. Yeah. A lot of people have lost their houses. They've gone into bankruptcy from 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 medical bills, you know, they're they're locked in, into student loans, and so so it's it's part of the challenge that we've been working through on this pilot project. Thankfully, we've had kind of wonderful patient partners with Columbus House, but there's intense skepticism from the nonprofit world um, to the for-profit world, um, and and frankly, you know, can we use the tools of capitalism to create a more conscious capitalism, and can we? 
Can we basically create some more distributed ownership of the infrastructure of the future, uh, whereby the, the people that use the infrastructure own the infrastructure? And, and frankly, I think this gets back to what you were talking about earlier, um, David, which was you know, blockchain and, and these ideas of cryptocurrency and ICOs is really about kind of distributed ownership in a transparent way. And a lot of people have come up to us and say, why don't you do an ICO? And I say, for one, they're illegal. And two, I don't want to move to Malta. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we're trying to you trying to create this this kind of alternative marketplace to empower communities and empower individuals to basically take action. Um, you know, there's there's a trillion dollar financing gap worldwide for clean energy. Right. Per year. Per year. Last year. You know, you know, it's just it's incredible. That needs to be spent every year from now until 2050 if we actually want to have any chance of saving our political and economic institutions. And and frankly, I don't think Raise Green's going to be that trillion dollars. But if it's a few hundred million or, or whatever, if it's a few hundred thousand, every bit matters. And it helps to change people's mind states and their, their consciousness about what they need and how they can do it and self-reliancy using the tools of a system that may have hurt them in the past. Um, that's, that's a great thing. And, and that's frankly our responsibility as the inheritors of society. You know, you guys represent, uh, I, I see a lot of companies throughout, you know, throughout the year and some, uh, all types of companies represented and informed by all generations of people. And, uh, you know, I personally think that you guys represent uh, some of the best ideas coming out of uh, universities and, and colleges today. I mean, you represent all the great trends. You, 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 you hit the, the, the buzzwords that, that I hear, right? Conscious capitalism. Um, how, do we, how do we make and operate companies that represent what we believe in um, and, and, and make them more responsible to the communities that they're involved in? Um, you know, uh, not just um, alternative energy, um, alternative, uh, you know, bringing technology to an area that doesn't have a lot, such as crowdfunding, and, and trying to figure out how to how to maximize that in different types of communities um, and distributed ownership. So, I mean, I think that's pretty amazing. Especially, I love how you're building it all into one company. How do you feel about that with your peers? So, you guys have been involved in accelerators and incubators, and 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 you know the community. Is this what you're seeing from other companies? Many of them, yes, um, definitely. I think there's a, there, you know, uh, we, we often quote this stat, which is that 80% um, of millennials are not invested in the stock market, and 75% of them think that they can affect climate change with their investments. So where are they going to put those investments? You know, and, and I think that the, the millennial type of uh, founders that we're seeing, uh, many of which you know, we've had the pleasure of working with at uh, Sci City, um, have this this sort of added uh, triple bottom line motivation, which is not just you know I'm not doing this for a quick exit or for consumer products to propagate more, you know, tech e-waste or whatever what have you. Um, they're motivated by uh, some larger. Uh, some larger purpose, whether that's tied directly to a sustainable development goal or the Paris Agreement on Climate Change, or, you know, or, or other sort of macro trends, um, is is sort of case by case. But pretty much, you know, most of the founders that I've encountered have uh, have incorporated this, and if they haven't, um, then they they aren't running in the you know the same circles, I think, and um, maybe we're just not seeing them. But um, for the most part, you know, people people care increasingly, I think. 
And, you know, there are a lot of people who are, you know, designing an app that you click a button and a drone will come pick up your laundry, right? And it's like, is that really what we need to be doing with society right now? Um, so I think that Franz is right. There's an increasing ethos, um, but whether there's also intense skepticism. And, and I have plenty of debates with, with my peers of whether things like capitalism can ever save climate change, um, which I think is a really important conversation to discuss. Um, but that being said, I mean, we live in a political climate right now that favors business. So if we can have like a larger impact as a for-profit business than we could as a nonprofit or as like a policy advocacy group right mm -hmm. now, given the kind of failure of the political system, um, you know, that's that's where we're going to go because, uh, you know, we don't have much time and we want to have the most change possible. Um, there, there are better ways, different ways to do things, and really nothing is off limits. Um, you know, society is a bunch of imagined realities, and we're constantly rewriting the rules, and we need to rewrite them in a way that's that's more just and more equitable, and we need to do it quickly. So if I break that down, what you're saying is, I wasted my $10,000 on that laundry drone app? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just... Hey, you might hit it big. <laughs> no, and I, I would agree. I mean... Our business trifecta ecosystems, we look at that same thing. I mean, honestly, I, I want to talk to you guys about we have projects that might be in your wheelhouse. I, I think, honestly focusing, honestly, focusing at nonprofits, I, we deal with nonprofits as our clients and, and schools and all that kind of stuff. Um, they're slow. Uh, the ones that we like the best act like businesses. They do not act like nonprofits. They are run like businesses. Um, and honestly, we are a for-profit entity because we can do more as a for-profit than we can as a nonprofit. Like we just can. So, um, and also, if you're a for-profit, like I always make this this equation is that if you're a nonprofit, you get all this money in, and you spend 10% helping the people that you do, or 20%, you know, helping that everything else goes to overhead. You're like, oh man, that nonprofit doesn't do enough, right? But if you're mm -hmm. a business and you give away 10% of what you you make or 20% of what you make, you're like, oh my god, you're a savior. Mm -hmm. So it's just it's just a re, <laughs> you know, recontextualizing <laughs> how people give back and, and so forth, but. Honestly, I do believe that we're in this um, trend now with, with entrepreneurship. A lot of them are really trying to hit serious problems and really trying to, hey, this is going to be a long 10-year process. <laughs> it's you know telling your family and friends, hey, if you're along with me on the journey, it's going to be tough. And yeah. then there's the other people that want the three-year exit, want to be out, want to be done. So um, yeah. I, I applaud you guys on, on the, on the long-term thinking. <laughs> Can I ask a question to, to Andrea? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, I'm curious, you know, with your extensive background in, in marketing and, and now in, in private equity, um, how you view this as an alternative investment pathway and, and from a, a marketing perspective. Yeah, so thank you for the question. I Here's my question back to you, because I have many, too many for the time we have. <laughs> um, but as a platform, how do you view your... Um, uh, so your duty to your investors to help them manage risk. Do you take on due diligence of these projects? Mm -hmm. Do you set the terms of the bond? I'll call it a, a venture bond. You're essentially in the venture bond market, basically. If that market were to form itself, you know, you, you, your type of business would sit at the center of it. But how do you manage the length of the contract, the terms of the contract, and help a, an unqualified investor really do well in your environment. 
Yeah, I think that's a great question, and it's actually, uh, we can get into some esoteric legal details if we'd like. Um, <laughs> no, there, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah. well, pretend I'm an unqualified yeah. investor. So, so how do I know you have a legitimate yeah. project, and how will I get paid? Yeah, so so just to be clear, there's kind of two levels operating here. There's there's an investment into our venture, Raise Green, which would be kind of the ownership of, of the portal. The investment into the projects, we we basically we don't manage that. That's completely between the projects and the individuals. However, as a portal, we have responsibilities to basically do due diligence on the the um, the projects that are listed. We can't like dictate the terms of their contracts because then we would be considered affiliate companies, um, which would kind of uh, limit. Crowdfunding is limited on a per company basis to $1.07 million per year. Mm -hmm. And if the projects are considered an aff affiliate to, uh, to Raise Green, then basically... They take up that money. They take yeah. up that money. So uh, unfortunately, the SEC doesn't like to basically issue opinion letters on what an affiliate is or not. And so um, especially in the space of cr regulation crowdfunding, which is only three years old, there's kind of the due diligence is done by the company, the investor, and the portal, um, and the uh, the responsibilities of who gets what, in a way, is still very gray because mm -hmm. it's it's fresh. Mm -hmm. um, we our original vision was to actually kind of be like uh, an accelerator and basically pick ten community projects and put them through a course and basically say this week it's project finance, this week it's accounting, this week it's solar. Build out your models and then incorporate and list. Um, the challenge is that. We, we've talked to some council that really does think that's an affiliate. So now what we've been debating about is is if there was like some sort of kind of open solar database that would have kind of some, some kind of contractual details available and help people build out these projects. But ultimately we have the right to determine what gets on and off the portal. They have to pass our compliance. Yeah. And so we can scrutinize these companies and frankly say, okay, we don't think this is legit enough. We wanna protect our investors. At the same time, we're not investment advisors, so we can't like tell people this is a good investment or a bad investment. So it's it's kind of like for yeah, rock in a hard place, right there. Well, well, oh, no, gosh, I mean, we haven't even talked about like the marketing <laughs> challenges. Of what yeah, we but I mean, th say. there's no guarantees. But at the same time, if a number of companies are are or if a number of projects do well. I mean, this is how you're going to separate good portals from bad portals in the long run, right? Yes. Good portals are going to have higher success rates. They're, they're, they're going to have more projects that do well. Yes. And you're going to say, okay, this portal has, has had, you know, 10 out of 12 companies provided a reliable income over time. That's right. And, and then we'll choose this portal. But the portal can't make guarantees because that's the same thing as the stock market. Understood. Right. But, but, so, so, so that's my question to you is as a service, so as your company is a service, yeah. and one of your many duties is to do your own due diligence so that the projects that you line up have early successes. Yeah. So and how, how are you thinking about that? Andrew, I think you, you've cut right to the, the chase here. <laughs> really it's a, it's an excellent question. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. She and always waits to the last question. <laughs> and then, um, so from, some, from my standpoint, um, you know, this is, this is an investment just like buying a stock. And so, you know, there should be um, a degree of rigor um, that's applied in the, in the likeness of a prospectus. Um, and that, that is what is uh, called in the you know, crowdfunding world a Form C. Um, and that document gets filed with the SEC. And so one of the, one of the biggest learnings we've taken so far from uh, this first issuance is that 
Um, there are a lot of things that we can do up front to de-risk these investments um, for uh, particularly for non-accredited folks um, and to you know to look at the risk adjusted return that folks are going to uh, potentially get um, of course bracketed safely in uh, safe harbor language and and uh, <laughs> James is nodding <laughs> um, but why, why is James making that cutting motion across his throat? Yeah. I don't know what that <laughs> no, but the sing, you know the single biggest thing in, uh, in project finance, particularly for solar projects, is that um, the, most of the risk is up front. Um, so the construction mm -hmm. risk um, and the contracts uh, are the are the biggest thing. And you know operations and maintenance in the field of uh, of solar is essentially just rolling up your sleeve and you know occasionally wiping snow off of the maybe a squeegee the, the PV panel, um, and so. You know, save some force majeure event like a massive hurricane, um, which you know is becoming increasingly likely um, with climate change. But at the same time, is is uh, you know a sort of a far off specter. Um, the the most of the risk is up front, and so what we're what we're aiming to do on the portal is to really mitigate that um, by by doing careful due diligence on each of the originators. Uh, prior to offering, uh, prior to approving their their offering uh, to be listed. Yeah, it seems to me that um, knowing your target investors, and I mean now the the, the source of your crowdfunding funds. Local, I don't know what to call them because they're not investors in your business, but they're you know the end users. We we call them raisers. Raisers, great. Okay, interesting. Um, knowing what alternatives the raisers have to a dollar into your platform, mm -hmm. I think will give you a good sense of what type of um, assurances, and that's in quotes, right? You can give people that they're actually going to put their money to good use, see a return, right? And be able to track the progress of the project through which they're a member. So they want to feel membership in this project now. Mm -hmm. And your communications to them about, you know, the, the status of the work. Um, you know, you put yourself in the middle of letting them enjoy the membership of the project with a certain risk bumper because they are, un, you know, unqualified investors. Um, so I think that there's, I think you should explore sort of the experience that you, as a, from a marketing standpoint, what experience do you want those raisers to have with you over the long term? You know, what sort of welcome package, what sort of due diligence and investigative information you're going to give them? And then how do you communicate with them over time so that they really feel membership in this and that they feel that their dollars have already done good? And it, it sounds like you've thought about these things, but you know, investor experience for an unqualified investor who's in this, this, this sort of the, the, the social uh, investment market is different. Their expectations are different than a typical bondholder, right? Um, and you are both portal providers, but also experience providers. So that that would be my you know advice to you, and I think it. I mean, this is this is very difficult to do. You're you're, you're create. There's a lot of innovation in your approach. You're creating an innovation pipeline through the type of product you provide, the type of of services you're hoping to fund, the type of communications around the payback for this bond type product that you're you're offering. Um, and then, of course, this idea of, of, of crowd raising through an internet portal, um, locally but online. 
So there's, don't, don't underestimate the, the types of ways in which you're going to have to think about things differently. Mm-hmm. But it's fascinating. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, you just, we should talk more. And, and <laughs> <laughs> if you like working long hours for no pay, we should, we should talk more. But oh, awesome. <laughs> she, she is retired, so yeah, it's perfect. That's kind of what I do. <laughs> we, we, you know, Franz and I, uh, you know, we've become kind of more serious finance people, but like, you know, we both have other passions like art and music. And uh, this is something that we kind of use to kind of guide, you know, how we have been thinking about marketing and the experience. And, and frankly, like having sections on our portal, like about the art that was created and, and other some of the creative projects that have come out is, is like very important to us. But we've also been kind of joking around tongue in cheek on how we can actually mix kind of viral videos that kind of like explain the risks of these things. So yeah. we've, we've joked like we have this one storyboard where two people are riding their bikes and kind of reading the, the boring risk disclosures to each other and, and you know, various things happen. Um, but uh, so it, it is a huge challenge. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's what we're working on right now. And this is part of the kind of the entrepreneurship, you know, 12 hour day kind of kind of thing. I'm currently trying to model the asset beta of a green crowdfunded uh, equity investment in crowd and solar. So okay. we'll see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're getting close to having to wrap things up. Um, but uh, first of all, if you're interested in uh, more about Raise Green and their projects, where would people go to contact you? Um, so we'd love uh, for anyone to come to www.raisegreen.com, uh, spelled like it sounds, as in raise. Um, uh, but also, uh, please do check out our, our offering on startengine.com. Um, it's called New Haven Community Solar. So if you just write that into Google, uh, that will pop up right away. And, uh, and so you can look at both the proof of concept as well as sign up on raisegreen.com uh, for uh, updates as, as the portal comes along. And, and your cell phone numbers are? <laughs> <laughs> I always try just to yeah. see if we can I mean, you work. can email me anytime. It's greenisagoodcolor at gmail.com. I, I, I don't mind. So, <laughs> But the, uh, I would say you know, New Haven Community Solar is actively looking in investors. If you think this is something that you want to see succeed and you want to see hundreds of projects or even thousands of projects like this around the country, we really need to prove this out with the pilot project that's live right now, New Haven Community Solar. Um, so How go, much go are you trying to raise? Out. Uh, I'm looking at James, and uh, frankly, I think that's considered a term of the offering, okay. which we can okay. only display on, on the on the registered crowdfunding intermediary. All right. Uh, okay. So, can you say when when does the raise end? Is there like a time limit that has to? There's no like. Okay. Uh, I'll defer to my okay. counsel. So, would so you there, stop asking questions? Can we not have lawyers on the podcast? <laughs> can we just? <laughs> It's the beauty of securities law. You know? I just yeah. uh, so so I just want to break this down into takeaways. Changing the world, awesome company, and need a very large insurance policy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, a couple shout outs before we go. Uh, we've had two wonderful guests in our recording studio today, uh, Ali, Ali and Avi, if I have that right. Um, and they are from uh, the Wesleyan Podcast Club, and they are going to be starting their own podcast soon. And Allie, can you remind me of the name? Unwind the Line. Unwind the Line. And there is a uh, beautiful tagline for this, uh, which I don't remember off the top of my head because it was a little bit longer than I can handle in my head. Contemporary social and political issues rising in scope for the millennial generation. Anybody want to repeat that? No? No. Okay. It's, 
lovely, lovely ladies. Contemporary and social issues. Yes, yes, yes. That approaches millennial generations. Yes, so, yes. Uh, and, and, you know, lots of information about housing justice, among other things, which I think is a fantastic uh, Connecticut-type topic. So keep an eye out uh, on your favorite podcast app for Unwind the Line. And, uh, do, Allie, one more question. Do you have any – is it set up anywhere? Or? We are going to have start releasing episodes. They'll be on, like, iTunes, Stitcher in late November, early December. Okay, so if you're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, et cetera, SoundCloud perhaps, uh, you know, all the usual places, check out Unwind the Line. Check out uh, and recommend CT Startup. And finally, we just want to thank everybody. Uh, we were recording here again at the Law Lab at District New Haven. And for those of you in the podcast that are in the area, please come to District New Haven. Take a look at it. They're building a entrepreneur community here. It is a real campus. Um, and feel free to stop into the Law Lab. Say hi. And uh, we look forward to seeing you. So thank you for your time. And uh, if you're interested in hearing more from uh, Matt and Franz, I think we're going to try to convince them to stick around for a... Uh, one of our roundtable discussions and see if they'll join us. So keep an eye out for that episode. Happily. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to CT Startup. More Connecticut startup news, information, and events can be found at ctstartup.com. The weekly episodes of this podcast can be downloaded from iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and ctstartup.com. We would like to thank both Sublime Exposure Online and Mirtha Kalina for providing resources and space to CT Startup, which make the show possible. See you next week.